The Incomparable Podcast, number 41, May 2011. It is the Incomparable Podcast, and it's a very special Incomparable because... As we did in a previous podcast, you may remember it as the Stephen Fry podcast, or as we like to call it, the podcast about nothing. The mistake podcast. Except, <laughs> except Glenn Fleischman saying random things about Stephen Fry. We are back live. Everybody is present in a studio while we record this. It's a horrible mistake. Why would we make it again? Joining me today are three regular members of the Incomparable panel and two, that's right, two Never before heard from. For, for the price of one. And never mm-hmm. to be heard from again. And, <laughs> right. and perhaps. One and only appearance. Treat, treat yourself. Yes, that's right. Do, do right by us. and Tread might, lightly. You might come back sometime. So I'm Jason Snell. And uh, among the other regulars in the Incomparable panel joining me today are Serenity Caldwell. Hello. Hello, hello. And Dan Morin, who's on every podcast. I Hi, am, Dan. I am the man on every podcast. It's, it's good. It's cheap labor. Yeah, that's right. I None get of, paid... I work for peanuts. I don't even get the peanuts. Have some peanuts. Uh, He works for almonds. Also joining us in this podcast are two newbies to the incomparable, but they are incomparable. I can't compare them to anybody. Across from me now, the incomparable Alexander, or as we call him, Lex. Hello there. Friedman. That's me. Theme music for him. (laughs) We have no theme music for him. And... Dan Frakes. Hello, Dan. Hello. I should play you. that Star Trek The Next Generation theme song no, for you. No, no, <laughs> that would please be, do not. That would be... Let me tell you what the 90s were like for me. <laughs> <laughs> Every right. time. Hey, are you related to remember, Commander Riker in some way? Remember no. checks? <laughs> Whenever I wrote one, are you related to... <laughs> no. 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 That was, that was the 90s. He's my dad. <laughs> That's right. That's Not right. anymore. And he says yeah. that you suck. I don't know. As Dan Morin has told me many times, it's it's very hard to complain to a, a Morin or a person whose name rhymes with sex about the jokes people can make about your name. That's this right. Is true. Oh, I, no, I, no, as no. a smell, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. I would have loved to be compared to, you know, I think TV's Ren, Commander Riker. Yeah, I think Ren has the, the best can't make fun of name here. Ah, uh, you would think Serenity that. now. Yeah. Sadly, the Joss Whedon movie came a little too late for you. Yeah. But even then, you know, it wouldn't be that bad to be. There was that. There know. was Ren and Stimpy. There was Serenity, the God's Prayer. There was oh, the so Lord's much Prayer. Was... You, you, also, oh, yeah. you also have. I'm talking. Directly you, you, have, yeah. you, have a, you have a name that that is a word in the dictionary. That's tough. Yeah. Mm. I don't. It's not mocking. It's not or rather it's not punning pun worthy. But. How, how many, many times things. did you get pissed off at somebody and they said, "Whoa, that's not very much like your name, Serenity." Mm, I had a count, and then I filled a book, right. and then I filled another book, They're and then I stopped now. counting. Yeah, yeah. you've <laughs> killed them all. Well, I went back in time and you know killed the oh, grandfather. Way to segue. What? That that sounds like a topic. So oh. so our topic is not people's names, Dan Frakes. It's time travel in the movies, and specifically, you're going to say that you did because you came back in time. And uh, specifically, we're going to talk about Back to the Future. And, oh, what the heck. We can talk about the sequels, too, if you really like to. But Back to the Future, the lovely 1985, I believe. Yes. uh, Science fiction comedy starring Michael J. Fox. The J stands for genius. And uh, Christopher Lloyd and Leah Thompson Mm -hmm. and uh, Crispin Glover, who can kick and can fight. Um, Thomas Wilson. And Biff. Yes, Biff. and Biff. TV's Biff. Movie's Biff. 
so so we'll but. we'll start we'll start with Back to the Future. I think one of the things that I remember about Back to the Future is that I remember it being a very clear reaction to a trend in the movies, which is the year before, 1984, Ghostbusters became the biggest grossing movie of all time or a comedy movie of all time. And it was this interesting combination. It was a comedy with sci-fi elements and big special effects released over the summer. Huge hit. And the next summer – and I don't think it was at the time intended to be this but really replicated it with this other comedy sci-fi adventure, Back to the Future. Um, And so I remember going into it thinking, well, you know, this is just this attempt to do Ghostbusters. But it was a a very different movie. And um, I think – you know, I think it works on all those levels. I think one of the great things about Back to the Future is that it is funny and it's got that Still nostalgia funny. element, but it's got the sci-fi adventure element too and it all kind of works. I mean, well, to me what's amazing about Back to the Future is that it it stays for the most part very loyal to its own definition of how time travel should work and I think for more than one generation of of people now has defined what the general rules of time travel should be. If you're going to do any other kind of fiction today about time travel, you either have to just by you know the generic rules you can accept the way that time, uh, that Back to the Future has established it, or you have to very explicitly define your rule set to say I'm not following Back to the Future's I, rules. I think the moment a couple of years ago in Doctor Who, where where the Doctor who who has been time traveling since the '60s, mind you, tried to explain to a human being what about tr- some rule of time travel, and they're like, all right. Back to the Future. Have you seen that? And I was like, okay, wow. We've gotten to the point now where Back to the Future is the reference point in Doctor Who for time travel. Because you have the whole like the pictures disappearing as a – you know, it's actually a really nice non-science fictional way of viewing like changes to the timeline, which is – it's not like, oh, you can't remember anything anymore. It's like, well, no, these pictures are fading and if you don't fix things, they'll fade away. You have just now instantly highlighted my biggest – my single biggest objection to how the movie handles time travel. The fading away of the pictures? Because it should be instantaneous. Right. It should be Mm -hmm. instantaneous. There should be no fading. It's not like they suddenly partially – It's conceptual. Well, Well, but it's – I would argue that uh, the timeline – Slowly changing in that there's a there's still a it's like probability right yeah Mm -hmm. they're still at at, you know they're half gone they're still a fifty percent you're either there or you're not Ah. you're either there or you're not I think I think the quantum physics people would argue with that. Yeah, maybe they would. Percentage, maybe they would. Their own podcast. There's no way for us to know. It's very uncertain. That's right. Well, they used to, but we changed that, so now it's not like that anymore because we traveled back in time. Um, go back go back. Time. Thanks for stealing that. Just, okay, so can we Huey, just start this so podcast over Huey, again like five no, times? <laughs> no, so Huey, Huey Lewis, uh, by the way, this is like the ap- apotheosis of Huey Lewis in the news. The, the, uh, the power the, of love. The power mm-hmm. of love and back Great in song. time. Right? And what's mm-hmm. interesting about Huey Lewis. I had this soundtrack, by the way. I actually bought this mm-hmm. on cassette. I bought the Back to the Future but, but soundtrack. But Huey Lewis's contribution to the soundtrack was the year before with Ghostbusters. He had been asked to do this, this the theme song for <laughs> Ghostbusters and he declined. Saying he didn't want to be pigeonholed as you know, or you know, to get into that genre. But then he saw how big the Ghostbusters theme hit was. Then later sued the Ghostbusters hit for because ripping off the base, "I Want a New Drug." The baseline of of Ray Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters exactly. is the baseline for "I Want a New I want Drug." A new drug. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and so and he got a part in the movie. Yeah, he's so got that a cameo. Right? Right. Right. He's got the right. key right. cameo. and two and two songs. Mm-hmm. The 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 key opening song and the end credits song. Right. Right. Yeah, that's the power of Huey Lewis. That's that is the power of Huey Lewis. Sorry, you're listening to the Huey Lewis the news podcast, loud. by the way. I... <laughs> no, but that I had that I had the cassette. There's a Lindsey Buckingham song on there that I kind of like called "Time Bomb Town." Lindsey Buckingham is cool. here tonight, but I don't know if we're gonna have time to get to him or not. He's not. No, he's bumped. 
He'll be on the next incomparable. I think He'll be on number forty-two. What, what's interesting about this movie as a nostalgia point, which we which we raised earlier, is that there's there's various nostalgia points depending on where you are, right? Because mm-hmm. obviously you've got from now we now have the the eighties nostalgia view of it, but at the time, of course, there was a nostalgia of the fifties. Because he goes back right. in time to the 50s. Is this movie not far enough back in our past now that it's the equivalent of it's how far almost, back the 50s was almost, to right? Marty McFly? Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. In it's, fact, it may no, be the 80s enough. To the yeah, 50s 30 years. It's 30 years. Yeah. yeah. But it's. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, don't Coming think about up. it too much. Some hard. of us were actually alive then. Great Scott! Well, we're very close to. <laughs> not most of us, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Not most of us, huh? Right. Hmm. That's depressing. Most of us were not alive when? During the 1950s. Most of us. Oh, no, I was talking about the 80s, actually. (laughs) I would venture to say that all of us, upwards of 80% of us were not. (laughs) No, but so you you get that, you get that 50s nostalgia. I mean, that's actually one of the the interesting points is that not only do we have 80s nostalgia now, but it played off of that 50s nostalgia, which was very much there. And and so the 50s that they portray, you know, you've got your, you've got your greasers, right? I mean, it's a little bit like, like a, um, uh, American graffiti kind of thing, almost where you've got these archetypes. You've got the cars with the fins, and you've got the diner, and 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 right. they walk through all of those scenes. And you've got the like high school fifties kind of high school tropes, which lead to the dance. And and yet, one of the things I really like about this movie is that it is subversive to a certain degree. And 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 I think the moment that that strikes me about it is that he meets his mom, and and it's it, some of the some of her behavior. I think she's sneaking a smoke at one point, and yeah, he's right. like, "Oh my God, Mom!" Well, and it, and so it's like the '50s seems so whitewashed, and yet then you go back there, and you know it totally wasn't like what we view the '50s to be. And and even though it was enjoying the nostalgia factor, it also was kind of commenting on the fact that it wasn't really as clean and squeaky, you know, right. squeaky clean and beautiful as as oh, we think. But yeah. I mean, if you're talking, if you're highlighting his mom smoking as the the key <laughs> surprise of the '50s, I think you're dancing many, around yeah. what what nearly got the movie not made that nobody wanted to touch the movie with the original Zemeckis and Gale script because there was a key incest subplot. Uh, incest love, And nobody wanted sure. to touch it. They wanted them to get rid of that and, and work around incest and not deal with that where Marty McFly or real Marty's mom falls in love with him. That was Time Rider, I think, the movie yeah. about the guy on the motorcycle who goes back in time and, and it becomes his own <laughs> grandfather. That's a totally different movie but I, mean, I saw it when I was 13. There oh, are God. very few films that I can cite. At, really, there's one that I can think of that really are comedies that at least, at least in some way, hinge upon a mother falling in love with her son, and it's—I mean—I think it's pretty remarkable that Back to the Future succeeded despite or because of. Well, well, it, 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 it plays it right, though, right? Yeah. I mean, the horror of Michael J. Fox of being when right. when Leah Thompson comes on to him—it's—he it, is. She was so hot. He is horrified, and she was totally hot, yeah. and he is horrified by it. It's—it's it's mm-hmm. kind of brilliant. Right. Yes. Yeah, the comedy. Is what sold it, yeah. right? Right, because it's a funny situation, right. and because he is terrified right. by it, and 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 it's so it's oh, it's gross. And what what's my mother doing? We, we've already seen her at that point, right? Don't yeah. don't we see as, her in her, as, in her fat suit yep. or yeah. whatever it is, yeah, or in the present? So, which is now <laughs> the past. <laughs> it's, it's it's the present, but now it's the past. But it was the future, right? We should mm. get back there at some point. It's very confusing. Very confusing. Now the. Again, I, I drilled this a little bit before already, but you know the what I loved about Back to the Future and still do is that it's it stays very honest to its interpretation of time travel. And I'm thinking specifically of how like Flight of the Navigator violates all kinds of time travel <laughs> logic. Where the you know if you're familiar with the film, but at the end the boy is brought back to the present, but uh, another version of the boy has simply disappeared. There should be two versions of the 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 star central boy by the end yeah. of the film, and mm-hmm. there aren't. But 
Back to the Future throughout the entire trilogy really is very consistent about, you know, if I go back to the past, there is a version of me there right. perhaps. Right. So they have him sneaking through and you've got, you know, the, in Back to the Future, the part two, you have him going back to the 50s again. He has to avoid his, his other self. self. Right. right. And he has to avoid, right. you know, stand-ins for Crispin Glover and the whole thing. It's tricky. Right. It's tricky. right. And I love that the – um you, you have in the original movie that that uh, Christopher Lloyd is in both timelines, but he's – but in the past, obviously, he doesn't know about Marty. So Marty has to explain it to him. Right. And that that's great and that makes sense. But the the beauty part of that is that when Marty returns to the present at the end of the movie, returns to 1985, Doc Brown says to him, oh, Marty, I knew this was all going to happen because it happened for me in the 50s, which is this internally consistent story, right. which, which it's such a nice – as a big sci-fi geek in 1985, I was like, "Yes, they didn't. They didn't let that go. They they made. It, of course, it was him in the past, and now in the present, and he he remembers all of that." But at the same time, his parents seem to have no recollection that somebody who apparently turns out to look exactly like his son. Right. Yeah. Well, he was just, you know, he was, he was some Klein. guy they knew for like a few Calvin days. Calvin Klein. Right? Yeah. It's Calvin Klein. Although, He's although so he just no, he so, says Marty. So, so yeah. he does. He does. He does change. The timeline. I mean, that, that's oh, one of the funny, that's, that was, that's one of the funny things about the movie is that when he comes back, it's not the same timeline. His parents like have a big house right, now. Right. And his father's mm-hmm. successful, and Biff is the, like the family slave. My favorite. Right. My Which favorite is of all. Realistic that Crispin yes. Glover would be my a favorite change. Right. Right. My favorite change though remains when he leaves. Of course, it's the Twin Pines Mall, and he comes back in the future, After knocks down a tree. tree. And then when he comes back, it's the Lone Pine Mall, yeah. which is one of the best little – you'll blink so and you'll miss subtle. it. But it's great. Wow. It's a great little piece. Now, I think you know another key element of how it handles time travel is that when they come back for the sequel, one, Crispin Glover is played by somebody else. And two, Marty's girlfriend is much, much hotter. <laughs> See Elizabeth Shue after? Elizabeth Shue becomes the girlfriend in, in episode mm-hmm. – in, 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 Yeah, two in and three. Second. Right. Yeah. They right. leave her on a porch somewhere and she ends up yeah, being right. Elizabeth Shue. Right. right. Yeah. Well, they just couldn't get her back, you know. What, exactly. what, I, you what know what's weird? I mean, the the fact that you know, the story with Chris McGlover is probably not so relevant to our topic right now. But you know, he he wanted more money than they were willing to pay right. him to come back, and, and he was crazy. Right, and it was and is <laughs> crazy. He's tried to kick David Letterman in the head. So yes. they, they shoot around him and use stand-ins and another actor and such, and right. and that changed the how Hollywood actors now get paid for residuals and reuse of their film and stuff. It, it changed the laws about how you have to treat those actors now. So they affected the future, making Back to the Future. Just wow, that's wild. I, uh, it's quite artful in the in the second movie, and I, I there are a lot of things I don't like about the second movie. But what I do, think, I, I'm with Lex on this one. I, I do think it's quite artful that how they they make you. It's it's a little bit like when Deep Space Nine went back through the original Star Trek episode. It's like we don't have these actors, or they're at least not the same age. Right. But we'll we'll they we do can, a good job. We can manage. And so can. Crispin Glover, they had his dialogue, and they had people right. from the backside who were doubling for him. And right. it, it, you can't. You can't really tell that he's not a participant other than sure. the story surrounding it, which is but, that but he just wasn't. To your point about the second movie, I think we have to go around the room now and establish <laughs> what everybody's favorite episode, you know, favorite favorite movie in the trilogy is. Okay, okay, I, I think it would be obvious. Yeah, but the, I'll I'll start. I, I think the first movie is is clearly oh. the best of the three. Um, clearly, I mm. I think from a from a filmmaking perspective i think the first one make my tops but i think the second one is my favorite and i think part of that has to do with it was the it, it was, was actually the future the, it was the future which was in one word hoverboards hoverboards hoverboards, hoverboards. Mm-hmm. It's not um not because if and, and if you were if you oh, were sorry. a kid in that era as i was and lex was yes um you knew the urban, urban legend 
Did you know? Were you familiar with the urban yes. legend that, that Mattel had made, that they made, hover, they made hoverboard. hoverboards, but, but they were too dangerous right. to release? Uh, and so you, every yes. kid, every kid who was nine uh, year olds was kids. like, "Oh my god, I want a hoverboard the so badly." Is because Robert Zemeckis would say, he, "Yes, he did." Yes. So gullible. This happens to be one Suckers. of the biggest search terms on my friends yeah. and our blog yeah. was hoverboard. <laughs> Tell me, Dan Freaks, your favorite of the trilogy. my favorite was like Jason the first. Um, you know, nobody the third, likes the third. The well, third was just. Well, I can talk about uh, the third. Yeah. The third is, but I've third, got a lot to say about the third. You know, I remember waiting in line. We actually waited in line and, and watched Whoa. the second. But I have to yeah. say, I, I, and this is. I quit. Really, really, <laughs> this podcast, yeah. no Lex. This the right phrase is, is this over. podcast yeah. is over. No, the, the phrase is this podcast was over. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got to. I got to say, I'm, I'm not fair to the second, but I have a. I have a thing about movies that end as, and wait for the third because it's obvious right. there's going to be a third because they shot and them I, back to back. Oh, yeah, we, yeah. We, we yeah. and they came out a year apart. Yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. they were basically filmed at like the same time. Yeah. yeah, and and that to me, I was very offended by that. In the, and actually, I don't remember honestly. That was the first movie I'd ever been to where it was that obvious that they'd made two movies well, as one line. The first one ends on a cliffhanger well, no, too. It sort of, it, well, it has a, it has a coda. in the theaters. Yeah, it said you know it was just the ending of the movie. But when right, they released right. it on video, it said. To well, be yeah, but there, I mean, but there's a coda in terms of the story. They go sure. off. Oh, we're going. We don't need roads. Well, oh, your kids, going, they're in trouble don't. in yeah, the future. Exactly. Yeah. We've got to go get them. But that could have been just the end of the movie. Like, yes, oh, it could have been. But the second one was the second one was really like the story was not finished. Yeah, but I mean, I think that, and I don't want to speak for you, Dan Moore. But I mean, that's please speak for me. What was exciting to me about. Part two wasn't just, you know, hoverboards, but it was the future. You know, there were flying oh, yeah. cars. There was, you know, the crazy self-tightening shoes. The shoes and the jacket that drives itself. Like, Sports almanacs printed right. on paper. Mm. And like the, the 3D jaws. Like, yeah. Yes. That yes. Awesome. I mean, that, that stuff was wow. just the double, awesome. The double that neckties. was awesome. Video watch. conferencing. It, yes. When yeah. will we ever get that? It was get clearly that. more geeky fun, but – and I, I, I mean, a surprise, level, surprise. Yeah, we liked it. The level, the level of homage too, I think, was also just yeah. you know, there's all so many direct references, and it ties in so closely sure. with the first one that it well, feels exactly. like part and of the, the larger story. One, you know, the first one was a great story, and it was was very brilliantly handled for sure. But the second one didn't just have the cool future stuff, but it also had the cool past stuff. Well, the alternate Martys past, at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. yeah. And Marty's right. there with Marty. Ms. Oh my God, Miss Caldwell. Do you have a verdict on this? On the second movie, on or? which of the which of them is your favorite? Um, Choose well, <laughs> everybody, no, I'm not going to say the third No, well, I will rep the third one, but yes. I won't say it's my favorite. The first is the first is definitely my favorite just because Ooh. it stands up having <laughs> no having. I mean, I'm they AMC AMC showed Back to the Future in theaters for its 25th, 30th. 25th, 25th, just 25th, yeah. 25th anniversary. Uh, The Blu-ray came out and then they also re-released, unfortunately, a digital print, but still a print of the 35mm film into theaters for a re-release. And that was the most fun I've had at a theater in a couple years because like – you know, some some movies you remember from your childhood, they're not as great. And Back to the Future, without a doubt, stands up. It's it's still great. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. hilarious on every point. And you just like that entire film. I was just giddy and like smiling like a little kid yeah. the entire time. I will say from an epic kind of scale, even though it didn't always work, the third one has a lot of fun to it. The idea of building a time machine out of a train <laughs> remains endlessly amusing to me. The gun battles, the you know, there's 
the God, I see. I I don't remember the third one except in images and like little bits. Well, the and third pieces, one, the third one a... has the remake, the 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 sort of branch off plot from the first one. It's very similar. In the first mm-hmm. one, they're back in time and they don't have any plutonium. In the third and one, one, they're back in time. They don't have any gas. Yes. No, the, fir- the first and third feel like standalone movies. Yeah. And, and the, the second, second one, is... and this is my complaint about the second one, is the second one is about the first movie. Which is awesome. And and I didn't like the future stuff so much. And I think part of it yeah, – Lex is making horrible <laughs> – Yeah. I, I think part of it is I'm – Flying cars, Jason. I, you know – I want my flying cars. There's they something, didn't need roads. There's something about a plot – that it just something about the plot seemed very mechanical to me. Like they they were so constrained by what had been said in the first movie and where they knew they needed to go that it just all seemed kind of like they were, they had to step through A and B and C to get where they needed mm-hmm. to go. And so although the individual, I, I'll grant you, the individual like little touches like the hoverboards are really cool. The plot in that part, see, but I really love. I found really mechanical. Like, well, we got to oh. get Biff, and we got to send him back. So yeah, but I love the alternate. Thing. I love the alternate history that they set up too. Like that they that they you know everything changes right with this one little detail. You bring back yes. that almanac, mm-hmm. and everything changes. And You've got this he whole throws alternate the to himself. By the way, let's not let's not discount the fact right. that he threw the almanac to himself in a very very cool shot. Yes. That's true. Also that. That's right. I and like, if you're, you're going to affect the future, that's how you do it, right? You, right. You, you, it's, it's a smart always one. that. That's right. It's clever. I know all the winners. Mm-hmm. I can make bets. I can make a lot of money. And I right. think he pro- the, that movie probably explained to people that if they ever do get to travel back in time, that they should bring right. with them a sports, a sports almanac. almanac. I think yeah. people had right. Ooh la la. <laughs> the sports almanac sales shot up. Yeah. Oh, let me I tell would you. not be surprised. But, I mean, uh, to me, it's not. it wasn't just the future stuff that I loved about Back to the Future 2. There were, there were two other pieces. One, like we talked about, you know, just having multiple Martys in a scene at the same time. I love that. That's that's mm. great. But then, even yeah. beyond Marty with Marty, it, uh, you know, one, I just like the idea that he's got to go into the future to help make his, you know, kids not be screwed up. <laughs> you know, your kids are – kids, we keep have to bleep um, that. But then there's also uh, – there, there were scenes that they didn't even have to do where, Mar- where Michael J. Fox plays multiple roles around the dinner table. I will and say, that yeah, that's cool. very that's very Eddie Murphy. I'm right. not but sure. I think it's way before Eddie, Eddie Murphy. Murphy ever did it. He was I know. Thing. ridiculous voices. Yeah. He was just playing. Uh, he was playing his kid. He's playing yeah. the daughter too, right? He plays the daughter in that scene. Yeah, he does. yeah. The thing about Robert Zemeckis' movies, in terms of Back to the Future in general, is I love how theatrical they are, and and goofy and cheesy to a certain extent. I mean, you have this is a film medium, and it could have been very very easy for them to either cast different actors for the adults and the children in the first movie right. mm-hmm. or to do like, anything. Like Eric but, Stoltz? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah well, right, right. I mean, but, but I mean, they go, the, they, they go with age makeup. They go with very theatrical things that you do on the stage right, and right. very and very exaggerated age makeup too. And it's basically sure. saying to the audience, yes, we know these are people in yeah, age Leah, makeup. Leah Thompson's sort of horrifying. Yeah. Well, how many but ways we, do they have her because they have her made up at the beginning of Back to the Future, mm-hmm. at the end of Back to the Future in which she looks slightly she different. She looks a lot better. She yeah. And then the alternate in the alternate timeline in Back to the right. Future 2, they right. have her yeah. made up differently. Kind of horrifying. Horishly. Yes. Horishly. yes. She appears in the third one too as the – doesn't she? As the as an ancestor? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, oh, no, that's right. Because all the ancestors look like you. Well, and one yeah. of them yeah. – Apparently. One of them – With, man, with man, Michael J. Fox with a mustache and yeah. an Irish and an right. Irish. Biff, got, Biff Tannen has a lot of really dominant genes. Yes. I think yeah, that's I think all we can say about that. The Tannen boys all look the same. But The other piece that's special about how – Number two handles time travel. I want to make sure I'm getting this right. So you'll all correct me if I'm wrong viciously. We will. But, yes. you know, in number two, Biff goes back to the past, yep. gives himself the almanac, yep. and then comes back to the future. And then 
they um they uh, but it doesn't make sense that he has successively come back to the future since he's already been to he's the past changed and changed the, the past, future. Yes. Mm-hmm. But when you get the DVD or the Blu-ray and you see the deleted scene, there's a whole scene where Biff comes back from having given himself the timeline. He manages somehow to before before past Biff has time to deal with the almanac and change the course of history or future history. Um, Biff returns to the what would have been the current present and then suddenly like vanishes from the timeline in a, in a painful physical way as the future is changing all around him. And like, they have this deleted scene that they took out because they didn't think audiences could handle it. And they're probably right. But just the fact that they were thinking about it that way, that he couldn't have really successfully come back to what had been his present, I thought was very smart. Yeah, I'm just flowing that out. Yeah. Well, Ren, you were going to still talking about you were talking about Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, just to, no, yeah. just the inherent theatrically theatricality of it all, and how in, utterly enjoyable it makes the movies. Which would otherwise, I mean, they're fairly campy movies when you take a look at it, and I do not think they would have they would stand the test of time as well as they have if the campiness hadn't been so thoroughly embraced, like if they had tried to pitch Back to the Future more seriously. Right. They, you know? they don't take themselves yeah. too seriously. No. I think that's part of the beauty oh, yeah. of that. And that's kind of yeah. the beauty of the time travel too, is right. it's like, yes, we're, give, we're giving you fairly complicated stuff, but we're giving it to you with a crazy scientist and we're basically saying, no, none of this stuff makes sense. And hey, look at the flux capacitor. And no, it, it doesn't. <laughs> hey, he it invented it on... while falling off his toilet, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And he, but he couldn't have invented it in some ways without – you know, Marty coming back into the past mm. and telling him, you did the think of this today when you fell off the toilet because he hadn't – Doc Brown hadn't acted on it right. until Marty well, shows up and yeah. says – he, he draws it, right? Right, Although which I, was I always one that. of the things that bugged me about that. About, well, it's but, a perfect uh, – For, for, crazy, for time travel, time. I kind of love the idea that, that – which, which, which Back to the Future doesn't embrace. But I love the idea of time travel movies where what you say is what happened happened. Right. And so why did lost it, style. it's it's a it's a paradox <laughs> but it's not a paradox it's like well of course doc brown invents it because of the time travel that comes back to in, make him invent it and I was right. like well how is that possible because that's what happened yeah. right? there, just you don't even go into it any more than that there's, there's something to be great, said for that it's simplified great uh spanish language movie that came out a couple years ago called Backo time crimes <laughs> there's El, El yes. time crimes i've heard of time that. time crimes is made by nacho vigolando mm-hmm. who is a uh, Spanish a Spanish director who made a couple of short films that were Academy Award nominated, and this one was his first full length feature. And it's it takes some cues from Back to the Future in terms of how time travel works, but without spoiling too much of the movie. And it's a movie that can be very easily spoiled. It's all about embracing the inherent absurdity of paradoxes. It's a murder mystery wrapped in a time travel story. It is creepy as heck, but one of the most fascinating movies that I've ever seen. I, I was going to ask later um, what people, uh, if they've got other great time travel movies. Have you just, have you just blown it right I've, there? I've just, I've just blown, I've just blown Spoiler half alert. of it. You gave me such a, such a perfect, All right. exact, like, that was part of in the, terms of paradox. I apologize for my segue. Yeah. She, um, she brought she back from but, the future yeah, of the podcast. It's back. It's true. That's right. We're in time. I'm willing to move on, but I just want to say on one last point between number two and number one in terms of which is the better film. That number one, the first Back one, to the Future, by the way. is worse. Yes, that, that, that the first <laughs> Back to the Future will always, for me, be hindered. And I didn't realize it initially on my first watching, but only later, by its inherent racism and giving Marty McFly credit for inventing rock and roll music and stealing it from, you know, Chuck Berry. From Chuck Berry, mm-hmm. it's your cousin. Marvin Berry. <laughs> and it's because sure. it, Chuck Berry can only invent it because Marty McFly goes back in time and plays it and then Chuck Berry hears his right. own future yeah. song played. But again, paradoxes. Right. You know? But I mean it's it's a it's a I would say 
you know, one could look at it through the yes, crappy colored lenses of racism. You could also say that that Chuck Berry and Marvin, his cousin, <laughs> have good taste because they chose the classic rock and roll of Johnny B. Good. And not the ridiculous heavy metal guitar solo True. that Michael J. Fox played that left everybody kind of silent, which is a great scene, by the way. Yes. Where it's like, I've pushed this too far. <laughs> You're Just not ready, step. but your kids are going to love it. it. Right, right. Right, which is great. Can we? Uh, so let's talk about the third movie a little bit because it is fascinating because the second Plenty movie is clearly – the second movie is clearly a sequel to the first movie and it's about the first movie in many ways. The third movie is just a story in this universe. It's a very different kind of thing. I, honestly, I have a very hard time judging this movie. I like it but I, I, I don't think I can view it objectively largely because it is almost entirely shot on location in the town I grew up in because <laughs> ah. um, I grew up in Sonora, California and they built that – they built Hill Valley and now I live in Mill Valley, which is even more confusing. <laughs> they built Do you have old, a DeLorean, Jason? I, I, um, I'm not going to say. The, the, and, or, I, and I'm Mr. Fusion too. The, <laughs> um, that's where all my compost goes. The the um they built it out outside of town and uh, because the we out in the foothills in, in Northern California you can it, it doubles very well for um for the old west and the movies High Noon was shot there I mean it, it's it's a great old west setting in California so they shoot movies there and so I had friends who were in who were extras and and so I, it's very hard for me to judge it but the the two or three times that I've seen it I I've been struck by how it's just kind of fun. It, it's very it is entertaining. Not, mm-hmm. It is not encumbered mm-hmm. by the story previously. And, and it's almost like that. that's the franchise movie. It's almost like the first two are kind of tied together. And they're like – and it's not true because they shot two and three together. And yet three feels like the, hey, let's do another Back to the Future story instead of let's follow up on the last scene from the first movie and tie a whole story together. I, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know if you guys feel that <laughs> yeah, way or, I really, or not. It does, yeah, yeah. I like three, but I mean I don't know. The lead up to that, I was just a brief word about the end of two. Like I, I will say that's one of the parts that still gives me goosebumps is right towards the end of two where he gets – you know he watches the DeLorean vanish. And, and, the, the, and the Western Union the Western, guy comes yeah. up. I love that scene. That's a great scene. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. scene. And also just chilling. he dances around and then he's like, oh, my God, how do I get back? Right. right? And so he has to run and find – You know, it's. I love that part, that setup. But the third one is a – it's a very entertaining movie um, and it's got yeah. some – it's a little bit off kilter from some of the other ones. You know, you got Doc Brown gets a love interest. Mary right. Steenburgen. Mary Steenburgen. Mm-hmm. Steenburgen. And you get the um, – you know, Michael J. Fox or Marty dealing with his his older, you know, ancestors, which are in suspiciously similar circumstances right. to it. On right. both sides of his familial But they get to yes. play with that so whole weird. Old West motif, which is really fun. Great. Great. I mean, but for me, my the, the the biggest issues I had with it is that I, I, I've never – I'm not a huge fan of the Western genre in particular. So sort of lightly parroting or skewering it didn't really work for me as well as the other two. And I I didn't like how the third movie felt derivative to me of its predecessors. Like I, I felt like two built on one in an original way, you know, reworking some of those scenes and showing them again, where three really tried to take a different direction, which I applaud. But like it's very similar. Getting the getting mm. the facts and now the facts is gonna change from saying you're fired to fading away slowly. Again, it's not an instant change like the photograph should have been. It's a it's a slow, gradual change as Marty perfects his future life. And just, you know, using that image changing over time technique again and 
I felt that it, it, it copied itself too much. I'd say as, at the same time, though, as a kid growing up watching them, it was just kind of like, all right, it's the first movie, but in the Old West. And that was perfectly OK as a seven-year-old. Yeah, but they needed the hoverboard, too. They really did. But, I mean, they had, you know, wagons they had the super time-traveling cool, trains. They had a super cool train. Not, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. not until the end, though. I know, but still, that was a really cool also, train. Also, a great, a great wrap-up, too. I think, you know, there it's hard – do you end a series? Do you spin it out to another franchise? And I think, you know, they came to the point or where... Or to a ride. Or to a ride, as it were. Or an animated series, right. which they did as well. Um, but I like the... I mean, they destroyed, they destroyed the, the DeLorean, right? You know, in that last scene, which is kind of heartbreaking. But at the same time, also, you know, like, it's a fitting... But they, they the shoot ship. it, right? They destroy the DeLorean and you think, well, wow, that's powerful. But then the train's a time-traveling yeah. machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can see I don't yeah, like that part-time. Time. Yeah, I don't like the train as much. I don't know. I'm I'm grateful no for DeLorean. Robert Zemeckis destroying the DeLorean because of where his career has gone now, and I'm really afraid of Back to the Future Four in 3D. <laughs> they've they've, they've, they've motion, motion, capture. motion capture. Yeah, yeah. they've like repeatedly discussed whether or not they would do a fourth and, and shot on location in shot Uncanny Valley. <laughs> exactly. They like repeatedly Tintin. shot it down, like Tintin, right? Yeah. 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 The, although, although Zemeckis, you know, um, he's made some. I mean, yeah, he did Polar Express, but he did Contact, which I really like. Yes, and but again, Gump. when was when was Contact and made? Gump. In the 90s. Exactly. Robert Zemeckis kind of went down at about 2000. Well, he, he, yeah. he went into he stopped the working land with of motion actors. capture, right? Yes, exactly. Well, no, he, he works with actors. I know, but he can, I know. He, he can edit them afterward. <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, and I very well could be, but I'm pretty sure Lex, that you're the, wrong. the Back to the Future I will subplot, correct you. The Back to the Future subplot Even if you're right. of Marty McFly hating to be called yellow only starts in the second it's it's used in the second and third movie, but it never happens. No, no it's used in the first movie. Where is it? You're coward, or where, yeah. where do they call oh, him yellow? Oh, coward! In the first movie? They call nope. him coward, but they don't call him because it's in the second movie. He says nobody calls me yellow. And yeah. I don't think that it happens. I feel no, like I it does in 1955. No, it does in the not. First he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. They don't use the terminology yellow, but they do. You. They That's do. That's a weird it's personality like, quirk of Marty McFly. Right, but no, it's it's self-destructive Biff, in Biff that regard. Threatens or past. Yeah, Biff, yeah. yeah. Threatens. Yeah, to, like in, in the yeah. in the diner. In the yeah, diner. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like, yeah, what yeah, are yeah. you, chicken yeah. or coward or something? I think he calls him chicken. Yeah, chicken. And then that's when he turns around and punches him. Because Marty hates chicken. That's what gets him. He's a vegetarian. Clearly. Oh, man, that's yeah. the best. You know, actually, in speaking of great scenes, uh, a fantastic scene where he meets his, his uncle, who's a baby, behind who's in the crib. <laughs> yeah. You better get used to those bars, bars kid. <laughs> now, actually, you know, one of the funny things that, that, that has made this movie age well is that in the movie, his 80s trappings are made fun of by the people in the 50s. Right. Because they're not like – they're not like 50s gear, mm-hmm. his life which, which is funny, right? <laughs> his life Except best, right? now, <laughs> now it's great because now we look at the 80s fashion and the 50s people make fun of it and we go, ha, yeah, 80s fashion was funny. So <laughs> it, it's actually, I think, aged – Better or jacket. just as well because why is he wearing that Maybe puffy vest? Yeah, he's a sailor, right? Yeah. <laughs> Calvin Klein, you have so many mysteries to teach us about. Purple underwear. From, from the future. Uh, also, the DeLorean, I guess we should say. Oh, I, you know, best for, time machine ever. Iconic. Yeah. I, so Dan, Dan and I actually both own the same T-shirt, which is a classic T-shirt that, that actually Chris Hardwick from the Nerdist podcast wore on Craig Ferguson's show when Matt Smith from Doctor Who was on it. That's a lot of name dropping. Yeah. I know. I know. That's a lot. Sorry. Unpack that. So, basic, so basically, let me unpack this. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Um, uh, <laughs> the guy from the Nerdist podcast said, I'm going to wear a Doctor Who shirt on Craig Ferguson's show. What should I wear? And I thought, well, I know what I would wear. 
And it turns out he wore it, which is the same shirt that I have and that Dan has, which is a shirt called It Came Out of Nowhere, which shows the um, the DeLorean from Back to the Future having rammed into the TARDIS from Doctor Who. Nice. Which is, is just it's great. It's, it's hilarious on so many levels. Fantastic. Who, who here can provide what the original time machine was supposed to be in the Back to the Future series and why they moved away from it? Is this Jeopardy now? Lex? Yeah. Well, no, I gave you the question, so clearly it's not <laughs> Jeopardy. Who Lex, wants to be the you, you know the it answer was a, to this. It was a phone have... booth like in Bill and Ted. Close. It was supposed mm. to be originally in the original drafts. It was a refrigerator. And Steven Spielberg became, as the producer of the film, became concerned that kids would try to go into their refrigerators ah. at home mm. to travel. So he saved time. that for Indiana Jones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They totally blew that. But now they'd only go into it. Yeah. yeah. Only, only if there's a nuclear explosion. If there's going to be a nuclear explosion, the kids should go in their refrigerators. The, the, Children, associ- the associations the with the DeLorean yes. ended up being not much better since, you know, that car was then. And John Taylor's in his history. Kids to climb into. Well, there's usually just drugs in the side Cocaine jokes. Actually. Actually, it's it's um, in the end. I think it's like the greatest thing that could ever have happened to Delorean Motor Company. And, yes. and I saw DeLorean. one of those Not once on the on the roads. I was just you know, my dad was taking me to the mall or something when I was a teenager, and I remember looking you know back, and there was just a guy like there's just a DeLorean, a DeLorean on the street, yeah, and I was like, oh, they have holy them. They, crap! They, they drive them. I've I've <laughs> seen one. I saw one on the freeway in L.A. Um, yeah. when we were driving home after a, a visit to L.A. and um, it's you know stainless steel. It's it's, it's hilarious. But but the thing that it's done is it awesome. it has become the definitive thing. So now DeLoreans mean Back to the Future. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas the time it was like this obscure you know attempt to do a new American car company that failed for a lot of reasons yeah. and it's kind of the doors. It, you know, so the so doors are perfect for time travel. Mm. Yeah, so so it, it, good for it, getting funny. in and out of and movie scenes too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Very yeah, convenient. it's it's funny that that has become the definitive. DeLoreans now yeah. for all eternity will be the Back to the Future car, mm-hmm. right? Is it a mistake that we've gone eighty eight miles an hour without mentioning either Einstein or Copernicus? The the dogs. Uh, not, not no, it's not insane. Okay. It's just mildly uh, amusing. We haven't talked about Christopher Lloyd much either. No, it's true. I would like to do because – 88 miles per hour. Because uh, – Jumping I, gigawatt. I, he pronounced gigawatt wrong the entire film. Gigawatt with a mm-hmm. J, yes. One, yeah, one, j- one, well, I, what are you talking about? I've got a 120 gigabyte hard drive. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? <laughs> um, the uh, ever popular Will Smith single, Getting Giggy With It. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Cri- yeah, so Christopher Lloyd from basically at this point from Taxi, Taxi. Mm-hmm. Right. right, right, and playing a similarly kind of nutty character, but um, I, I think he's like the heart and soul of this movie oh, because absolutely. he's not just a mad scientist, right? He's he's it's really kind of touching when he when Marty meets him in the fifties. He's Marty's best friend. Yeah, yeah. Well, the it's relationship a shame that he got them. shot by the Libyans and and obviously killed, and he won't be alive when we get back to Libyans. the future. The Libyans. Although well, if they're back in the news, if anybody's right? actually right. seen the uh, the the <laughs> there's a a remix of Back to Future. There's a trailer that they made to the idea of Brokeback Mountain with the relationship between Marty and Doc Brown, which is as simultaneously kind of strange, but also still kind of touching. <laughs> you very, can have you can almost you can almost pull out the Marty, story between the two yeah, of them. Doc and Marty have a great relationship. It's yes. it, no matter what it is, love knows no bounds, not even time. And you have to believe that Doc Brown was building that giant guitar amplifier for Marty's benefit. Oh, oh without a doubt. Said. <laughs> Very sweet. There's no, there's no doubt about it. No, and the, the in the first movie, the the end, you could, I mean, that end sequence is a almost perfect bit of suspense with the the countdown being uncontrollable because it's mm-hmm. a lightning strike that right. would would you can't delay it or anything. It's not like your usual like mm-hmm. James Bond, you know, countdown that ends at 
007 um, because it's it's known yeah. because of time travel, but it's going to happen at a certain time. And so they have the timing. And in those movies, in the first and the second movie, actually the third movie too, very effective at feeling like, oh, God, they're never going to get out of this. They're do- how right. could they how could they outwit, you know, this yeah. problem? And yet, But I do love the, those moments. Do. You know, I love that moment. You know, when he's getting ready to go back in time and he's like, I just I wish I could – if only I could get to Doc sooner. Wait, I've got I as can. much time as I need. I'm in a time machine. Like there's that, that great moment where he thinks he can save his friend, right? Mm-hmm. And then he – and then it seems like he fails. He fails, right. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. But the, and the, the whole movie keeps paying itself off. Like you mentioned, the Dan, the, the one – the Lone Pine Mall versus the Twin Pine Mall. But, you know, you have that early on scene that seems like a total throwaway of save the clock tower, save the clock yep. tower. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, He's Mrs. Exposition people. comes on and explains. It's it's the lady who does it, right? Yeah. But she comes and explains exactly when the clock tower stopped and had the lights. And, so, and, and then it pays yeah. off. As, as the Wayne's World line says, which I use all the time, it seemed extraneous at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, no, the whole movies were – I mean that was part of the beauty of these the whole yeah. series was it references itself and it references pop culture in ways that you don't expect. And a lot of times you don't even catch until the second or third time you watch it. And uh, and that was I mean you can watch it today and still get stuff out of it that you might not have gotten out yeah. of it when you first watched it. Well, and a and a moment of appreciation for Michael J. Fox, who is a big reason why this yes. movie works. And, and it's show. amazing because mm-hmm. he wasn't cast in the right. part. It was <laughs> Eric Stoltz. Stoltz. Right. And there they are filmed clips. like half the movie, right? Yeah, yeah they, it really kind of unprecedented where 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 they looked at the dailies and basically said he's he's not funny. Eric Stoltz, who is a good actor and has been in lots of good stuff, but he just wasn't he right. was this, not no. the Mm-mm. right. And they went to Michael J. Fox, who was known only for being in Family Ties. Right. And he's fantastic. Yeah, and he was doing it all uh, partially with his drinking and drug problem. Yeah. But doing – he would work Family Ties all day mm-hmm. or all week and then fly without any sleep to – or you know, I don't know if it was flying or driving. But go to the set for Back to the Future yeah, I think and it was be up all night. Point, but yeah. yeah. And he, but he, he literally – you know, when you read his memoir, uh, Lucky Guy, something like that, Lucky Man um, – but he was doing it all on no sleep and he would have no sleep and he would shoot all weekend long and have like four hours and then go back to the family tie setting. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring that up and then I can't th- – there are very few movies I think where you look at the movie and you say, I can't imagine anyone else in that role. Um, there's just something about Michael J. Fox's personality, the way he acted in this movie that is just quintessential – yeah, Marty McFly. That's the funny thing about the Eric yeah, Stoltz so, stuff is that of all the movies, I, I, I would never have no. imagined this is the movie where right. there was a, another guy who shot a third right. of the movie. And, and, you and, know, Michael J. Fox has said in interviews that he saw them scouting for Back to the Future and heard that it was Spielberg and Zemeckis and what the general storyline was while he was filming Teen Wolf. And he was saying, God, I wish that the Family Ties producers would let me – you know, allow me to film this, this Back to the Future movie instead of having me be in a movie about – being half man, right. half wolf. Yeah. Well, and we and we said earlier that you know part of the reason the whole movie works is it doesn't take itself so seriously, and I think a huge part of that is Michael J. Fox's right. well, comedic personality, right, which is where yeah. he yeah. came from. In family right. ties, right? Right. No, it was he was perfect for it. TV's mm-hmm. Alex Keaton. What would we do, baby? Without you, without love, without love. without without uh, one point twenty one gigawatts. gigawatts or gigawatts or eighty eight miles per hour. Oh man, I always wanted to drive everything at eighty-eight miles. And every time I go past yes. eighty-eight, I'm like, are we I going wish I had. I wish I had a digital speedometer on my car just for that. Yeah. And my my friend Mike once created a fake band based around Back to the Future, and I just remember one song title, which is "My Love for You Goes Eighty-Eight Miles Per Hour." <laughs> it, it it it's funny. I mean, I I really view this as like almost like this accidental. It's it's an it was a huge hit, and it's become a huge cult success. And I look at it, and you know. It's like it's not even breaking a sweat. 
right? I mean, right. it's just, it's so unassuming. It feels effortless. Yeah. It's so unassuming. Well, it's the so special effects are good, itself. but it's fun. It's not trying too hard. Mm-hmm. 88 miles an hour becomes iconic. It's not like they were trying to push it. It just became and this thing. it all thing. feels yeah. believable, right? You know, well, it's like it's the, the, the science the, the, is just the flames. Yeah. I mean, the spe- even the special effects, right? The flames down the road. That's just, you know, putting flammable thing on the road and lighting it on fire and shooting, yeah, right? Yeah. It's not and, that and complicated. And that shot at the end where they, they're both standing on the ground and the fire goes you know, yeah. between their legs, it's, it's like it's drawn in and it literally Marty's leg is standing in the flames. <laughs> well, so, it was accessible, accessible sci-fi that didn't bill itself right. as sci-fi. It didn't like, talk down. Like yeah. Ghostbusters before, right? right? And that's why right. those two movies really are linked for me. And we will do an incomparable about Ghostbusters at some point because that's one of the uh, – other than the real genius, we've beaten that one to death. Mm-hmm. So we'll move on to Ghostbusters, which hopefully somebody will not come and beat to death, John Syracuse. You got the um, – no, that's why I mentioned him. Is he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> But but no, those two movies showed there is a you know Star Wars showed that there's a mass audience for a sci-fi adventure movie in the summer that people didn't realize was there. Back to the Future and Ghostbusters showed that it doesn't have to be straight; it could be funny. Right. You could do special effects and funny, and in fact, you put those two things together, and you can have the biggest grossing movie of the year, which I believe both of those movies were. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and and then it unfortunately in the rest of the 80s you saw a lot of attempts to replicate it that failed but those two well the thing those, they made it they those worked. two were original stories and i don't think they were really you know star wars helps to be a certain to a certain extent but they weren't epic the way Star Wars was right. and they weren't trying they were, to emulate well, it. Well, they, they were grounded in, yeah. in, in t- the present day and they in were characters riffing, we recognized. You yeah. know, they were you know, riffing on their – Like Mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there, there was – I think it took a big leap of faith, especially for Ghostbusters, for them to say, you know what? We're going to pay for big blockbuster special effects for a Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. For comedic right? sci-fi. And, and, and likewise to say Steven Spielberg is making a sci-fi movie. Great. Where do I where do I sign up? But it's a comedy. It's like, seriously? You know, did you see his previous comedy that didn't go over and, very and well? We have to thank them because it paves the way for movies like Men in Black. But we also have mm-hmm. to curse them because it paved the way for movies like Wild Wild West. Uh, Men in Black too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I, I think I think in balance, yes. we're much better off yes, I'm, with, I'm with movies great. that – don't take themselves too seriously, but mm. can be both a blockbuster and have a sense of humor. I mean, yep. there, there are and, and, can, and can still make you think. It's hard to. I feel like yeah. I, I feel like that's one of the things that makes it really. It's hard to do a good movie without at least some humor. No, it's true. And you know what? It all comes back to having a strong story and having strong characters. I mean, no matter what you, if you if you make something solely based off the popularity of. You know, Whatever's science fiction. Hot. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have a lot of nothing. I mean, you look at the popularity of like science fiction and fantasy in today's, and you look at you know, you're like, hey, let's make a movie about vampires. Right. No one's yeah. done that. I'm, awesome. I you mean, know, Schindler's List could have been better if they had a couple jokes or vampires. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> Jokey vampire. Uh, I could have done so much hey, more. How about this? You could have <laughs> told a joke. No, I. I now, Jason, could you tell me what I, your favorite? Non Back to the Future time. Well, that, that's movie. A, that's a really nice segue, Lex, because I'm go- I'm going to ask everybody well. except Ren because she seems to have already told us. Well, I uh, or right. did she or did in she? the past? I mean, right. it's it's one of it's one of the most intriguing. Well, I'll tell you mm. what, Ren. You, we're going to come back to you last, okay. and so you can see if you, you can rack your brain and come up with another another time problem. I will get started. Thank you, Lex. Usually, oh, I pleasure. wait until the end, and people are like, "Jason, you haven't told us what your favorite is." And well, I'm biding my time. I'm waiting till last. I think that's I have a, good, a guess. I'm getting kind of right down for the gold, Dan, golden Dan Moore, envelope. Dan question. Moran almost certainly knows what this is because I won't shut up about this movie, and I've mentioned it on previous podcasts. Oh so man, I'll then I, maybe I'm wrong. So I'll mention it here. 
it, it is a, a movie that was shot for about $25,000 by oh, a yeah. guy who's never made a movie before. He wrote it. He directed it. His friends are in it. I have watched it like five times. It, uh, it, it, it's confusing as hell and yet it is brilliant. It's by a guy named Shane Carruth and the name of the movie is Primer or you might call it Primer but I believe it's called Primer. Uh, that's what I like to call it. And it is a time travel movie with very specific rules um, and it's about a, a couple of guys who invent a time machine and the way the time travel works um, is is you can't travel back unt- except to the point where the time travel machine was turned on. So you can't go back into the deep past but you turn it on and then you go away for a while. You come back and then you can enter the box and come and travel backward to the point where you turned it on and then get back out. Um, so it's kind of like a save point in a game. It's, mm. It is. So what ends up happening is the reason you turn it on and then leave is because if you turn it on and stay, you'll watch yourself come out of the box. So you leave. And so so you pick this up and you see these – and it's very kind of obscure and they're talking about um, how they, they – they've invented it sort of accidentally because they're like trying to do a tech startup and they're talking about it in very technical terms and you think it's kind of dry. And then you realize that um, it's a time machine because they, they, they drive – they drive to their the storage locker where they built the the time machine, and they see them and they leave their car and they see themselves leaving the storage locker. It's crazy, and um, over time, what you realize is you're not watching the first iteration of this. You've act, you're actually you're actually watching several iterations in, and these guys have already had the time machine, but are now backing tracking over their timeline. And there's a website where you can actually see the entire timeline of Primer, and it's incredibly confusing. But it's brilliant and there are lots of just shocking moments where you realize, you know, those – the sounds of the rats that are running around in the in the, in the the ceiling of the guy's house might not be rats. There might be like a guy from the future up there. <laughs> nice. Um, great stuff. So it is confusing and yet it is internally consistent and um, I find it riveting even though it is this guy's only movie and he, he did it with like kind of his own money. And Wikipedia says seven thousand dollars. Seven thousand dollars. He won. Wow. He won. A, maybe it's the twenty five thousand dollars was the, maybe the prize he won because yes. he won it in a film festival. And the, the film and, has grossed four hundred twenty four thousand. Yeah, and he profits. and he and he um he lit it himself. He actually like invested in in like lighting rigs that he built himself in order to light it properly. It's crazy. But that said, it it's a good movie. It's very confusing, and yet it is it is brilliant and and kind of pure in its vision of time travel. So so for me. The number one time travel movie is is Primer, and I have a second that I'll save to the end um, for it, it, because I don't want to steal it in case somebody mentions it. So we'll come back to me, Dan Warren. How about you? Got to go with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Of course you do. Sorry, got to. It's I was going to fantastic. It has my favorite time travel scene ever, which is after I think they they're trying to get uh, was it someone out? They're trying to get someone out of jail, and so they need the keys. And they say, well, we've got the time machine, right? So, like, what if after this is all over, we go back in time, get the keys, and leave them behind this sign here? And then, and then like, one of them reaches behind the right sign, there, right, picks right. it up, and goes, whoa. <laughs> I just love it because it's one of the perfect, like, yeah, as long as they remember to do that, that that will perfectly work. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's, again, another comedy movie. This much, lot, a lot more comedic, I would argue, oh, yeah. than, than Back to the Future. But still... A fairly pretty, you know, a pretty good movie. Just you know, for the presence of, among others, George Carlin. 
It's a good, like, it has an yeah, awesome it a good movie. part. Yeah. It it's was just very entertaining. It's yeah. very, it's a very strange movie, but it, I love all the time travel parts. It's all good. It's good natured too, right? Oh, yeah. it's so easy yeah. to go. I love yeah. the scenes where they have to talk to themselves and like convince themselves that yeah. it's actually like they're actually themselves from the future. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's just, it's extremely well written. There are some great strange things are afoot at the Circle K. You know? <laughs> There's some great lines oh. in there and, yeah. and just, oh, man, I, and it's and, got the Doctor Who inspired phone booth. Yes, the phone yeah. booth, which is great. Oh man, I tried for so the, the as I recall, you had to dial the year you wanted to go back to, and then press the pound and star keys simultaneously. I tried that in every damn phone booth <laughs> I went to for like. Nerd. For, I would probably still do that, no. um, but I, it's just Fair a fantastic. And they 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 pick up all these guys, you know, all the historical figures, Abraham Lincoln and Socrates and uh, <laughs> right, Socrates, right, right, right. It's just such a it's such a fun Napoleon, you know. Yeah. So in your summation, Napoleon was a short, dead dude. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Although my favorite, my favorite Bill and Ted scene is in the sequel where they the play, sequel's actually where they play Twister ch- with the and, and with Battleship death. with Death and yes. with Death and in the Death is talk about bizarre co- uh, collapse of of like highbrow and lowbrow. It's Death from like Ingmar Bergman. But it, Played movies. by William Sadler, uh, it, who is the bad guy from Die Hard it's, 2. It's crazy. Things. So it's like this Bergman-esque death, and it's then he plays weird... Twister in Battleship with Bill and Ted. It yeah. is a, you know, crazy. Bogus Journey, underrated, but I think a, a surprisingly good sequel. Yeah, you know, the original was, title yeah. of that was Bill and Ted Go to Hell, which I actually think was... <laughs> but Bogus Journey well, and, is awesome, too. And they are, in fact, now talking about Dude, doing a third doing a Bogus. One. Really? Doing Whoa. a third one with them at, you know... Returning Keanu Reeves and Alex Winters and having them play the characters at the age they would be now. Um, and someone – we had a conversation with this about someone. Said, well, you know, George Carlin's gone. What do you do? And my friend realized, wait, but, you know, it's reversed. He'll be young because he was uh, old in the original movie. So you can just recast the part because, you know, he's supposed to be a lot younger. When maybe they can them. go back over the footage and, and meet themselves in the past. It's a very – you know, one of those movies that is kind of quintessential. Is it, is it late 80s or early 90s? I'm not sure which one. When it was made, but it, it's it, it feels I think it's late late eighties late like an eighty nine, and I feel like it it does have that sort of eighties movie vibe to it. Right. Like it's kind of weird, right? These guys make a band that's gonna supposedly like save the world someday or yeah. something. It's strange, but a, a delight, yeah, a delightful uh, yeah. movie. It's a good one, delightful good movie. movie. Dan yeah. Frakes, what about you? I stole it. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, that was that was one. You gonna concur mm-hmm. with Dan? Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of entertainment value, that was good. Um, and, uh, yeah, does does Groundhog Day count as time travel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. We're, at, some point, at, some, at, at, at some point, at some point, we're probably going to do a whole podcast about Groundhog Day, which to which, be on, which, yeah. which I would argue is one of actually probably one of the best movies ever made. I, I love. I think yes. it is a my, great my wife cannot stand it, and I'm I'm like, are you crazy? This is one of the best movies. My mother it loves that. Oh, I love it. One it, of her I, favorites. I really think it is one can of the best. Serious with all seriousness. Can I share with you? one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, and because. It's got all these levels. It's funny yeah, yeah. and it's dramatic, and yet it actually says something about like the meaning of life, which is a, a kind yes. of amazing for a wacky comedy. Well, let me defer. Also, don't that. drive angry. Don't, don't drive angry. Don't. I'm going to defer to, to, to Lex and, Illinois, and give this like. to Lex, and we can so we can continue talking about it a little bit, okay. and then I'll pick something. Well, I mean, but feel free if you if you want to, if I miss points, you add them on. The, the, here's the reasons that I love, and you just referenced one of them, Jason. You know, but when you think about Groundhog Day. I think that the the journey that Bill Murray takes in that movie 
makes a lot of sense. Like at first you would be insane. You would right. be livid. You would right. be furious and unhappy. But then he decides I'm going to figure out. And he's perfect at that part yes. too. Yes. He's and he's excellent. like, I'm going to – I have to – his character decides, you know, I have to do something with this. And well, but I, let's not forget where he's like suicidal for yeah. day well, it's, it's, after it's, day it's, after it's day. You don't see every day that he's suicidal right. for yeah, sure. No, it's, a, it's like almost a Buddhist kind yes. of story where he, right. he gets he gets past and decides all I can do here is perfect myself. But, because well, you get the assumption but, that he's been there for like thousands yes. of years. But so I mean – but first, I mean initially – his point is, how can I get you know Andy McDowell? Poor choice. But how can I get Andy McDowell it's to fall in love with flaw me? Only flaw in the movie is yes. Andy McDowell. Uh, um, but uh, and that's his first goal is you know very selfish in that reign. But you know, y- yes, you just mentioned thousands of years. You know, Harold Ramis has said that he thinks it's got to be at least thirty or forty years. And if you can think about that, and really, I, mean, I haven't been alive day forty, years, for 40 years. But he's doing that day over and over again. Read every book in the library. Learned to be an ice sculptor. Learned to be a master pianist. And there's some logical flaws in the movie. Like, how does he keep going to the piano teacher and saying, I need to learn how to play the piano? But he goes in and at some point he's become not just a beginner at the piano, but accomplished. And then not just accomplished, but super. Like, some of it gets a little bit complicated. Why does he need to? I think he worked that out. But I mean. He go, go different levels of. of different uh, piano teachers. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's. To me, you know, there's. He What's perfects, magical to he knows me everybody, yes. learns right. their all, all their stories, yeah. he learns he, everything he, he there decides, is to know about to, that world. But eventually he even becomes so good that it's not just what do I have to do, you know, what, what's the right toast to make when we're going to have champagne and, you know, what's the, what's the right jokes to make Danny McDowell, et cetera. But he decides I'm not just going to do those things, but I'm going to save – I'm going to better some other people's lives right. that don't affect me selfishly right. in any like way. Like I'm going to catch the yeah. kid who's yeah. falling out of the tree. Right. I'm, even though that kid never says never thank you. Never says thank you. Um, you know, yeah. and, he's, and it's like that to me is the part that's really interesting. You know, he's not – he right. he, no, he, he gets, has 40 years he, he to gets, do it. He but. gets all his selfish um, selfish impulses out, right? I mean right. presumably he slept with every woman that is he's capable exactly. of sleeping with in the town and, and, and that finds that wanting because there's never any trace of it the next time and he has to do it all again. Right. He, he just exhausts everything that he could do and there's nothing left to do but perfect himself. And, but I like to believe that every once in a while, even as he's on this you know, spiritual journey to, to self-betterment, that every once in a while you wake up and you're just not feeling it. Yeah, so he that takes day a day he off. just spends and you know, he kills himself in some gratifying and exciting way. Or he just stays jumps in off bed. the building, stays right? in bed, yeah. right? Yeah. But eventually he's got a schedule, so he says, "Okay, the cat's falling at this time. Right. The guy right. in the alley is getting, you know, right. needs food. The guy in the restaurant's choking on his steak. Right. Okay, I've got to be he, here. He at this perfects. Time. He, right. he creates the right. perfect day, right? right? And that's what gets him out of it. And right. But I mean, great the, choice. My my favorite story about the movie Groundhog Day is my my sister used to live in Israel. Yes. And uh, she and her Israeli husband moved to the United States, or maybe they were just visiting that. But they were visiting my home. They had never seen the film. It had been out for years. But they had never seen the film. So I can't had, believe that there's nobody there, There's people who have never seen the film. This was years ago. This was years ago. Uh, yeah, but like now, goodness. now there wouldn't be anybody. Right, exactly. But so they, because um, we would have had to fire off the spoiler horn if that were the case. They're, they're sitting in, the, in my family room in my old house in Pennsylvania and we're watching them on a video. We're watching the movie on video. But they're jet lagged from having flown from Israel. So every time they fall asleep, I would just rewind the movie. <laughs> Not all the way, but some. So then my sister eventually, you know, she'd wake up and she'd say, this, why is this movie a success? All they do is show the same scenes again and again. I'm like, I don't know. People seem to like it. And then she'd fall asleep again and rewind it some more. They just keep seeing the same scene. So you basically gave them no Groundhog Day development. during Groundhog Day. That, that is a great. fascinating sociological experiment. So, yes. so She as, hasn't spoken to me a, since. As we've been sitting here, I've noticed um, Ren sliding further and further down in her seat. And the answer is we didn't fire off the spoiler horn for her and she has not seen you Groundhog Day. You never saw Groundhog Day? I have Day? never seen the movie. Holy How holy. is that possible? Um, 
I haven't seen Home Alone, so that you know. Yeah. There you go. Well, careful. I didn't see Ferris Bueller until last admit, year. I never saw what? Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Did you see? Really? You, Still? And wow. I haven't seen Bill and Ted either. So. What? Has nobody seen Primer? Nobody's seen you, Primer. I've, I've actually <laughs> seen half of it. And you've never oh, seen, you saw Primer. Ferris Bueller last year. Last year. On oh, Blu-ray, wow. actually. Yeah. It was good. Have you discussed that movie at all yet? We have we have not. Although that was that was I, I think one of the points about about real genius as I was saying I I can give a read on the people who love Ferris Bueller that as somebody who had never seen it and has no nostalgia toward it, it's a pretty good movie. And I have nostalgia toward it and think it's a great movie. It, it, yes. No, no, it's, 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 it's and, and I lived in, you know, I lived in Illinois oh, yeah, yeah. at the time, oh, yeah. and yeah. so almost for us it was like yeah, oh wow, where yeah, Groundhog yeah, yeah. Day yeah, was, where Groundhog Day was shot, by the way, yeah, it was in mm. Woodstock, Illinois. Right, exactly. Do you have another time travel movie? Well, since I stole yours since you both stole my first two choices. So. Um, really, I stole it from you. Well, this is I like the you. time you travel movie him. draft. That's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it was the third round of the tried. time travel movie yeah. draft. The New York Knicks select. I, you know, yeah. I there, there's the the third and fourth one are probably are what's that? I said the lake house. Is the lake house. <laughs> no, no. You know, I, I have, somewhere in time. I have, somewhere I in was time. made to see that movie. I have fond memories of Time Bandits. Terry uh, oh, Gilliam, because I was like 11 years old when it came out, and I I don't know how I got to see it in the theaters, but I did, and I was blown away I as have, an 11 year old. I have never seen time. You've never seen it. I've seen. <laughs> I've, I've seen, seen a large Everybody's amount of it, seen probably time all of it, but but not in years. I, I remember that movie freaking me out. As yeah, a kid. I I was it's 11 years movie. old. I saw it with my parents. My parents, of course, who are not sci-fi people, were like. That was the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, that is amazing. I didn't get half of it, but it was still amazing, right? And so um, one of these days, I want to go back and watch it again because it's probably been a good 15, 20 years since I've seen it. Um, on a more recent note, I would also have to say I really liked 12 Monkeys. Mm. Ah, well, I've, see, I've see, never seen that, that was my speaking of Terry Gillen, that was my reserve pick that yeah. I was going to come back to. Twelve Monkeys, Monkeys, in my mind, is is philosophically the perfect time travel movie yeah, because it. it 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 because it uh, holds to the belief that what happened happened and that everything that happens is an attempt to change the past and yet it creates the past and that there's no way to change it. And although that's kind of crushingly depressing in one way and it's a very dark, <laughs> depressing movie, it's also kind of brilliant and Listen, I, 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 I love that movie. I half agree with you because I think that the way that 12 Monkeys treats time travel is exactly spot on. I think the movie itself is a bit ham-fisted in how it tells mm-hmm. that story so I, I wouldn't put it I, – I, I love its handling of time travel but I really don't love its uh, the, the, the story. Does the, does, the, does the ending bother you? Because the okay. en- the ending bothers yes. me in that it's 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 pretty telegraphed. Yes. Yeah. We're not we're not it spoiling it. it. And it was the although Dan, it came out like twenty years ago. I know. Hello, I, I know. I just fell through the crack. No, I do want to flood out there. By the way, it, speaking of things that handle time travel well, I I really found not the movie so much, but I think it was an impossible movie to try to make. But I think that the book, the uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so I won't try. But the time traveler's wife. I think really Aldrin handles Niffenegger. Nif- 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 yeah. The book, I'm I like, scared to say. I like the book. I, like the book. I, I didn't really love the movie. Right. I thought I it was okay. It. But the book but the really book handles time travel. It's fantastic. In it's a fantastic well. narrative. Just, one of my favorite books. An incredible, books. how do you, I mean, just the, the architecture of the book itself to figure yeah. out the timeline of the whole story is just brilliant. If you haven't read The Time Traveler's Wife, Go. It's a good book. If, li- if you've liked, I'll also say, if you've liked any of the work that Stephen Moffat has done for Doctor Who, Read The Time Traveler's Wife because oh, even please. Stephen Moffat will say it was the inspiration for a lot of his time travel-based kind of character romance uh, stories that he's told and yeah. told again and told again. <laughs> and um, 
and it's great. I I I love that book on Me too. so many different ways, especially so because keeps so, waking up naked. Well, like and it. that's, <laughs> that that's that's great. Well, and they meet and they meet right. It's the only time you can tell a relationship like that where where two people meet and one of them knows everything about the other one and the other one's never met the first one. Right. Both, but I mean, both of their perspectives, perspectives at different times. Great, great book. Great you book. know, on that note, it's not technically a time travel movie, but Eternal Sunshine has kind of that quality to it. Where That's you're a, going? If you don't remember, it's yeah. like it. Well, never no, but happened. but I mean, well, when the when narrative, narratively as yeah. as the it's chopped up, yeah, no, well, as they're going through memories, they're going through memories in reverse time, and right. they're going through the reverse of a relationship. It's a really which good is an, movie, which too. is interesting. It's a great it movie. A, it is a great movie, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not. I'm kind of it's skeptical not... with a lot of the Char- Charlie Kaufman stuff, as I'm on the record as saying that I think oh. Adaptation is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But Eternal Sunshine is a great movie. Well, you yeah. chalk a lot of that up to Michelle Gondry, who I think is a, a really talented director. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Spoiling a podcast. Yeah. Spoiler warning. <laughs> oh. Words with friends. Oh, that was sad. But the one, the one that I was surprised that no one mentioned that I didn't really f- – even think of as a time travel movie until I checked Wikipedia's list of time travel movies. The Terminator franchise. <laughs> no, I saw that, but uh, I can't say. Yeah, that it's, it's not. It's not really. It's like a. It's like an action movie predicated on. Yeah, that. Right. but it's not really. Right. It's not and really the, a time and travel. The, and the time travel is so bad. I didn't yeah. see the Terminator really, until the much later, and the, I, I, I thought I, it's oh, actually it's a good movie. I love but, the, the original yeah. Terminator. Yeah. Is, Although, is, is actually doesn't get enough credit for being a great movie. The second movie is good. but it's more just like a blockbuster. It's not for its time travel. Movie. Movie is a Having solid. seen yeah. the first movie like like twenty years after it came out, right. yeah. these special effects are laughable. Oh, no. yeah. yeah. That's true for the this second is, movie I mean, too. The special effects yeah. Terminator Two do not. But the liquid metal stuff still cool. Terminator Two, Terminator Two at the time was state of the art. The original Terminator at the time was a low budget movie. Right. So it looks like a low budget movie. But you know, I know a lot of people who say at the time that like the movie, the robot at the end is still pretty like like cool. But like you know, not from the twenty years perspective. But at the time, they were like. Oh, my God, that's awesome. I always cite Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park as movies that had mind-blowing effects that just do not hold up at all. Well, Jurassic Park's a good example of a movie that uh, completely changed how we thought of special effects. It really made mainstreams like CGI. And And it's laughably poor today. But at the same time. It's like a lot of stuff where the first first movie or TV show or book or whatever that does something – if you look at it without thinking of the context, it's like, oh, really? Everybody does this now. But at the time, yes. it was yeah. the first. And mm-hmm. now we look back and think, oh, well, those aren't that great. But at the time, yeah. it, it was we, impressive. I, I don't know. I mean, there had to be that first movie that did that, and it was Jurassic Park. And, and now have, every movie does that now. You know? If you have the DVD or Blu-ray or Laserdisc of Jurassic Park and you have free time on your hands, which you all do since you just listened to this podcast, yeah. but you should go watch the, the final point. scene in Jurassic Park where um, – the T-Rex has the velociraptor in his mouth and as he's in the museum itself and as he swings his head around, if you go frame by frame, there's a frame where the uh, the velociraptor completely disappears from the T-Rex's mouth. And somebody at EW spotted it with their naked eye, which I find amazing. It's because they uh, – it was negated because they changed the timeline. Actually, what the truth is, the uh, he disappeared because he was a victim of the velociraptor. Well done. Thank you. Uh, I am surprised at the time for a time travel movie, nobody mentioned Star Trek Four. Which is a fantastic yeah. time travel movie. It it that's it, it, it wasn't movie. bad, but it was such a it small. It's, it's a, a good, great, it's a good movie. That, an, that was the first Star Trek movie we are I actually for ever the saw. Nuclear vessels. It's yeah. a totally off kilter, campy Star Trek movie that embraces 
You got so the it's double, a Star Trek. Movie. You got the double dumbass on you. Mm-hmm. You got you got the um the, the one that I love is Spock. the doctor gave me a pill and grew me a new kidney. Where where Doctor McCoy's in the hospital and he's like they they cut you open. My God, it's like the Spanish Inquisition and it's like our time. I love but Spock hey, giving the giving the nerve pinch to the guy with the boombox on the bus and oh, everybody yeah. applauds. The guy with yeah. the, they're going over the Golden Gate Bridge and he's got like the mohawk. And yeah, gives them the nerve. I, pinch. I think I would like it more now. When I saw it at the time, I was like. This is just horrible. Oh, oh it's a ah, fun, it's, it's a fun movie. It's a living now, movie. I think I would appreciate Li- it. Living more. in the Bay yeah. Area, though, now I would be disturbed by the bad geography in it because they're like standing on the, in the East Bay next to the Bay Bridge, and they're like, "We got to get to Alameda." It's like, dude, you're you're, <laughs> you're already right there. <laughs> what what what's going on? But at the time, I was like, oh, "Turn left, bridges." I, come on, yeah. a Macintosh cameo, computer. That, that's right. <laughs> Hello, yeah. Hello, Hello, computer. computer. <laughs> No, that's uh, and that's referenced in the other in the J.J. Abrams reboot, which is a time mm-hmm. travel movie as well. Yeah, and that's referenced where they once again, where this time Spock from the future tells Scotty, um, "You will invent this thing." So it's like Scotty gets it from both sides. But yeah. I, I can't. I mean, I thought that the J.J. Abrams movie was a fun movie, but it's. I find not not that his time travel handling is bogus, just so much as his storytelling is bogus. Where the, he ends up at exactly the right it's place a, on this extremely yeah. barren. And I've I've heard their justifications that, that for that, that and I, I agree that that bothered me at the time. But in subsequent rewatchings, has bothered me less. That is not my problem with that movie. That the the I am a big believer in in you will sell me on something if you say you know what. In this alternate timeline, the universe the universe is going to course correct and it's going to push the right people together. Okay. Because mm-hmm. how – after – timeline diverged like 20 years ago and yet everybody is on the bridge of the Enterprise at exactly the same moment. I, I So I'm willing to accept, yes, they were destined to be together. My problem with that movie is mostly like, like Leonard, me, Leonard Nimoy, as great as he is um, – you know, he comes on screen and then he has to do the exposition and there's that kind right. of like head scratching yeah. scene where he kind of mumbles about how there's like a black hole that's going to destroy a galaxy, which doesn't even make any sense. Right. And then it eats a planet and then he fires the red matter and then Nero is angry at him and it just – it doesn't make any sense. You're and right. I, and I, as much as I love that movie, I can't watch that scene because it is so <laughs> nonsensical. And I do want to say when you pointed out – you know. Uh, Spock as as Mr. Exposition. It made me think of the Austin Powers movies, and I think it's the second Austin. Speaking Powers of movie. time travel, oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a good Austin. It does hear oh, time travel yeah. in a clever way. Where the spy like, who shagged me, right? Right, yeah. because you know Austin Powers is saying, you know, how do we? I don't understand how this, you know, the time travel is going to work, and how many of me will there be, and do I have the bad teeth or the good teeth and all these? And he looks right at the camera and he says. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Which is a very that smart a, way to handle time travel. Yeah. Right, I recall. Right. I'll explain yeah. later. Yeah. Yes. Do you have a new favorite, by the way? Oh, go ahead. No, No, I was just saying other movies that aren't really about time travel but that have time travel in Army of Darkness. Army of Darkness is a great time travel movie. (laughs) That isn't really about time travel. I haven't seen it. Oh, (laughs) that's a classic. I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. Uh, Army of Darkness I saw first. uh, Army of Darkness I saw first and I still like it better than than Evil Dead 2. Um, Army of Darkness. Well, I mean, that's a movie but, that's predicated on time travel, but is not really. But if you no, say it's not I, really I, important to that. If you say I, I haven't seen Evil Dead Two yet, does that mean you intend to see <laughs> Evil right, Dead right. Two? Evil Dead Two is also a very good movie. Or, I mean, by terrible good movie, but yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm just, well, I'm just, standards. I'm just doing high, high fidelity high dialogue fidelity. at this point. Yeah, so. and yeah. and kind of in the the <laughs> Back to the Future can't be time travel. There's also there's always Peggy Sue got married. Which was a time huh? travel movie. John Carradine is in that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. one of the greatest yep. bad actors ever. John Carradine. Yeah. And Nicolas Cage with, you know, full right. head of valley girl hair. So <laughs> any other any other time travels you wanna you wanna get out? Or will a future version of yourself come back in time to this point and blurt the name of a great time travel movie from twenty twenty three? Well, see I anybody. do want to say, speaking of back in time, if you haven't 
yet seen or don't remember the Saturday Night Live sketch when Michael J. Fox hosted and he's in the elevator uh, in a building and Kevin Nealon first walks in and recognizes Michael J. Fox and starts singing, gotta go back in time, like singing really high pitch and really poorly. And then I think Dana Carvey comes in and right. they're, they're all recognizing Michael J. Fox and singing the back in time song. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's the, if you haven't seen or don't remember that video, you got to find it. I'm confident it's on online and it's really, really funny. I just want to throw that out there. Okay. Well, you yeah. have to find it. Show notes. That's the power of love. Mm. <laughs> it don't take money. It don't take fame. You don't need no credit card to ride this train because the train only takes cash. When he says to, to ride this train, is he? do you think that he saw the future and knew that in the third movie they were going to use a time traveling Huey train? Lewis is actually a time traveler. He actually it wrote. It would make so much sense. Huey Lewis yeah. is actually a time traveler. Yes, except for the baseline, yeah. which was written by Ray Parker Jr., sadly. <laughs> sadly, the news. It's all recursive. Not time travel. No. no, no, they've been left Lewis. behind in the That's past. That's why, why they really were current. left behind, right? Yeah, they only yeah. exist in the present. But yeah. Huey Lewis is 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 at all times and spaces simultaneously. Knowing some of the affection that people have in this room for the series, I will say that I did not approve of how the television series lost I knew you were time travel. I, I really, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed their time travel section. I enjoyed parts of it. I enjoyed the series as long as I didn't try thinking too hard about the time yeah. travel part. The great thing about the great season. thing about Lost <laughs> going to the seventies with the Dharma Initiative was because they got to do lots of funny stuff, and I, I think that's why they did it. Right? Is that they're like, well, well, this is such a ripe period for us to talk about, and you got to have Sawyer in his full-on like Rockford Files mode as <laughs> well, they, the they did, sheriff of the Dharma Initiative, and that was great. But they did it for comedy, but they also did it because they were lousy storytellers. So I think it was the I, I, there was some. I think there was some desperation there well yes. and it would have all worked except that then they if they, it weren't for those meddlesome kids in the end in the end it didn't pay off right right no. and that stupid dog and it didn't make any sense <laughs> that son did not get sent back into the past with the rest of them no no, no just no. i will defend the series but not on this podcast yes <laughs> it'll another be time. another another time i don't have another enough. it's too bad you don't have a podcast that could use to talk about this about these things it, it will we'll file it away we'll send it into a time capsule and put it in the future when we will discuss it at another time when we're back in time to the future, I, you know. Do we by have the any way, time left before before we go? Because we're about out of time. Out of time, in fact. The license plate, the license plate. Um, which has time, one, right. which has one letter more than is. Uh, it has eight letters, and you can only get seven letters on a custom license plate in California. California. Which is how, and the only reason I know that is that I always know that it's one too many. I, uh, we were talking to my one. kids about about That's Back to the Future, and. Uh, and uh, my my son said that doesn't make Back to the Future doesn't make any sense, <laughs> and I said, well, that's the point, is right. that they're in the past and then they have to get back to the future. And he's like, oh, mm-hmm. really? They have to get back to their present. I guess. To, uh, I guess that's more boring. Yeah. I gotta go back to yeah. the future. To the future. All right. I think we. Oh yeah. By the way, I Alan think... Silvestri score. I love that theme. Oh, oh yes. yes. That's a great movie. movie music check in from Dan Warren and Serenity. I own the the soundtrack for the second movie. Not the first. Uh, do you oversee, I do not. oversee, and then back to D oversee. If you just want to play them, sweet, done and done. <laughs> he just won up. Great to Scott! Me. I don't. I can't play music. You know I mean. the name. I know the chords. <laughs> and on that note, I would like to thank my time traveling guests. Uh, we traveled here from about an hour in the past. Actually, uh, Lex and I came from three hours in the future. It's true. How's the reception of this podcast? It's um, people love it. Not so good. <laughs> Are you from different timelines? Yes. They're from alternate, alternate universes. Yeah. That's very confusing. So so thank you, Serenity Caldwell. Thank you. 
Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Lex Friedman. It's a pleasure not just to laugh in this room. Dan Frakes, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was great to have you both, you newbies to The Incomparable. Thank you. And Dan Morin, the old bee, who's been on every podcast ever. And will continue to be so... Into the future. Into the future, where I will go now. All right, excellent. Until next time, in the future, this has been The Incomparable Podcast. Thanks for listening. 